Welcome to the very first podcast episode of DIY Guitar Making. Some of you may be aware of the DIY Guitar Making videos that I produce at ericschaferguitars.com and on my YouTube channel, Eric Schaefer Guitars. This podcast for me is an opportunity to extend what I'm doing with the YouTube videos into a different format where things are a bit different. So the cool thing about podcasting is that I can really go deep with it. Of course, the video content is great for actually seeing and understanding how certain woodworking techniques are executed. And I will continue to produce the videos at ericschaferguitars.com and on my YouTube channel because I really love doing that and I think primarily that's the best way to teach guitar making. However, I think there's really something awesome about the long-form audio format that you get from podcasts. I'm a huge consumer of podcasts myself, so this really just seems like a natural leap for me. So what can you as the listener expect from this podcast? Well, what I'm going to be doing is diving deep into acoustic guitar building techniques, sharing secrets of the craft so that you can step up your luthery game. From soundboard bracing to neck angles to fret work, we're not going to leave any stone unturned. Sometimes we'll do a solo show delving into a particular topic. Sometimes we'll do a Q&A show featuring members of my online guitar building course. And sometimes it will be an interview with another luthier, a woodworker, a guitar repair tech. Either way, it's going to be very informative and perhaps a little bit fun, too. So let me take a moment to introduce myself. My name is Eric Schaefer. I've been building guitars uh, as per this inaugural first episode right now. I've been building guitars for 11 years, primarily flat-top acoustic steel string guitars. Over that time, I've built 67 instruments, and of course I'm still building more today and still learning today. I started teaching guitar building in 2014, and I'm still doing that today through my eight-day hands-on workshops here at my shop in Burnville, Pennsylvania, and through the online guitar building school at ericschaferguitars.com. So the first guitar that I ever built was actually an archtop guitar, and I don't build archtops nowadays. I've gotten really far away from that, but you know, at the time I was into it, and uh, actually, I still have that guitar today. It's it's really cool. So I built that guitar with a guy named Dale Unger who lives in Nazareth, PA, which some of you may be familiar with because the Martin factory is also in Nazareth, PA. There's actually a nice little handful of builders that have all sort of grown around that area. Anyway, I took a course with Dale Unger and built that first guitar and then... And then the rest is sort of history there. I began seeking out uh, other forms of information and seeking out other builders just around my local area in Pennsylvania. There wasn't much in the way of video content like there is today. There was a little bit at that time, but nothing like the ecosystem of YouTube and all of that is today. So it was just a lot more like kind of an Easter egg hunt trying to figure out where to source different tools and materials and just really what to do next on any given build. Nowadays, you can just type it into the search field in YouTube and the answer to your question almost without fail will appear. It's really amazing, actually. And it's really even more amazing when you think about the people well before me, the luthiers in the 70s, when this boutique 
independent artisanal hand making of instruments was really just coming together as a thing and we really are standing on the shoulders of giants those guys did the majority of the legwork as far as understanding things like the structure of the sound box optimizing the ergonomics of the instrument and really just everything else all the acoustic theory these guys were just figuring things out in an absolute information vacuum compared to what we have now and and even compared to what i had uh, 11 years ago specifically builders who come to mind are people like Irvin samaji linda manzer john monte leon rick turner these guys were really luminaries of the craft bringing things back around to the show i'm going to talk a little bit about what's coming as far as what topics we're going to be doing for future shows and then uh we'll have a little bit of a topic today we're going to talk about the role of the sound box just so that this episode won't be all about just introducing the podcast you'll actually have something to walk away with education-wise to supplement your guitar building, or if you're just getting started, to push you a little further down that path. So what you can expect in the coming weeks are new episodes on topics. So I'm going to start with solo shows where I just dive deep into the basics of a particular topic. So it's a great way, if you're new to this, to just kind of get your feet wet. We're going to I'm going to do an episode on the fretboard. I'm going to do an episode on neck angles. I'm going to do an episode on bracing. All the basics. So we're going to be looking at things from sort of a 10,000 foot or 30,000 foot view, meaning we're going to take a very broad look at a very specific component of the guitar. And then as time goes on, I'm going to start adding episodes that are more like the interview style episodes with different builders and Q&A episodes where I answer questions from members of the members forum. You can join the members forum, by the way, by buying the online course Building an OM Acoustic at ericschaferguitars.com. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about the soundbox. The soundbox solves the problem of amplification for your acoustic guitar. Essentially what it's doing is taking the signal that comes from the string itself and it's adding projection to it, volume, sustain, and it's even adding character to the sound of that note. That character comes from the responsiveness of the two vibrating plates, that is the soundboard and the back, and the response that's coming from the resonant frequency of the air cavity in the sound box itself. As an analog, Irvin Samaji always described the sound box as being like an air pump, and I've always liked that description. I think the air pump model is a really good way of looking at the acoustic guitar sound box. It's not the only way, and it's not a perfect way, but it's the best way I can think of to be able to intuit some of what's going on on a physics level with the sound box. Just as an aside here, if you want to really get into understanding what's going on with the acoustics of the soundbox at a deep level, I would highly recommend Irvin Samaji's book, The Responsive Guitar. There's a companion book that goes with it called Making the Responsive Guitar. Both of those together are just fantastic books, and particularly um, when it comes to understanding the soundbox as an air pump. 
However, here on this first episode, I really don't want to drag you down into the weeds with that. Especially if you're just getting started with guitar making. I see this way too often. Everybody really wants to learn about what makes a guitar sound great when they're building their first guitar. It's good to get into that a little bit. It's likely the reason why you're getting into building guitars in the first place is because you want to make them sound better than they could be. However, I don't think it's a practical starting point for a new builder when there's so many other things that need to be mastered first, like just simply the structure of the guitar and the fit of your joints, fretwork, etc. A lot of the acoustic theory stuff is really more high-level and interesting topics that are best dealt with once the fundamentals are achieved. And also, there's no end to it. Everything else within guitar building you can master. Acoustic theory stuff is a lifelong pursuit. I don't understand it completely. I have my own set of understandings and uh, assumptions and speculation all kind of mixed together, along with experience and intuitions, into something that I use in my own building. But there are just as many builders that are working off of completely different, in some cases opposing sets of assumptions and speculation and uh, understanding. It's not that there aren't objective truths with acoustic theory. There obviously are. It's just that they can get so granular that it becomes hard in practice to actually use that theory when at the ground level, what you're actually doing is fabricating something out of wood. So in short here, what I'm really trying to get across is just don't overthink this. Don't get sucked in too deep with the acoustic stuff to the point where you neglect uh, other things or just get overwhelmed and don't get started with building at all. I would put it into the category of fun and interesting, but not required, at least at first. And as you become more competent with the basics of fit and finish and other aspects of the build process, you can then turn your sights towards modifications that purely affect the sound of your instrument. Not to mention at that point, you'll actually have begun to build up just a little bit of a experiential database that you can pull from to inform your modifications. So with that said, let's talk about what the sound box is composed of. The sound box is composed of two lightly braced resonant membranes, aka the plates, the soundboard and the backplate, which are connected by the rims, otherwise known as the sides, which are actually supposed to be stiff rather than loose and resonant like the two plates. The sides are the coupling mechanism. They actually couple the two plates together so that those loose resonant responsive plates can essentially play off of each other and have a more efficient energy output than it would otherwise have if the sides, the rims, were um, approached in a similar fashion to the plates, that is with minimal bracing. Okay, so you have your two resonant plates connected by a set of stiff sides. Now what you need is just a way for that energy that is produced by the resonant plates to actually escape. So we need an output. 
and we get that from primarily the sound hole. Now, if you had a guitar body with no sound hole, then the plates would actually be very constrained by the volume of trapped air inside the sound box. So let's go to that analogy of an air pump. If you have an air pump without a hole, then you can't actually pump it, right? You can't get that pumping action. The volume of air inside the pump prevents it from moving. So part of what allows these plates to be responsive in the first place is the fact that the air cavity, the volume of air in there, can go somewhere. So you need that output. Not to mention the pumping of that air out of the sound hole is the reason why that sound is able to project. But even if for some reason you say didn't want that projection, you would still need a sound hole so that the plates wouldn't be constrained by the volume of trapped air. Okay, so we've so far described the resonating membranes, which is the soundboard and the back plate, but most importantly, the soundboard. And we've described the coupling mechanism between those two plates, which is the sides. And we've described the primary output of that system, which is the sound hole. Now, what we haven't talked about yet is the input for the system. And that is where the bridge comes into play. So the bridge is the anchoring mechanism for the strings. When you pluck a string, it excites the bridge, which in turn excites the membrane, the soundboard, which in turn excites the cavity of air, which excites the back plate. And from that point, the soundboard and the back and the cavity of air are interacting with each other in sort of a feedback loop. But the bridge is where that begins, and that is why the bridge is centrally located, at least in an ideal situation when it's done properly, the bridge is centrally located at the center of the vibrational footprint of the top. So the key distinction here is the vibrational footprint of the top. There's a common misconception which assumes that the entire soundboard is a vibrational membrane or that it's intended to be, and that's actually not true. In a well-designed guitar, there's an upper limit as defined by the transverse bar, which I'll get to in a minute what that means and how you can identify that. But there's an upper limit to that vibrational footprint so that you don't just waste vibrational energy in a more structural part of the guitar, which is that upper bout where the neck joint is. So a significant portion of the upper bout of the guitar is structural and is not meant to be a part of that resonating plate. So if you reach your hand in through the sound hole on a steel string acoustic guitar, just north of the sound hole, as in under the fretboard tongue, you should feel a large transverse brace, which means that it's running across the width of the soundboard there. You should feel a large brace, a very stiff large brace. That is the transverse bar. That sets the upper boundary of your vibrational footprint. Everything south of that brace is the vibrational footprint. Everything north of there doesn't really affect the responsiveness of the plate. So now knowing where that transverse bar is, if you look at the bridge on that guitar, it should be centrally located in the area of the lower bout below the transverse bar. 
Now, on a classical guitar, if you reach your hand again in through that sound hole, you'll actually find the transverse bar is directly below the sound hole instead of above it, which puts the bridge in a very different place. If you hold a steel string guitar up next to a classical guitar, again, if it's done properly, you should see an obvious difference of where that bridge is located because the transverse bar is located in a different place. Okay, and so just to summarize all that, I've given you a simple view of the role of the sound box. And to reiterate, that would be you pluck the string, that sends vibrational energy to the bridge, which is anchored centrally on the vibrational footprint of the soundboard. That excites the soundboard. The soundboard excites the air cavity, which is coupled then to the back, and that excites the back plate. And that, in turn, starts a feedback between the two plates and the air cavity. And the output for all of that energy is the sound hole. That's a good 30,000-foot view, broad explanation of what we're looking at there. Of course, there's more going on. We didn't talk about the role of the X-brace or, or really any of the braces. We didn't talk about the modal movements of the top and the back. We didn't talk about the resonant frequency of the air cavity. We didn't talk about how other things outside of the sound box, like the scale length and the material selection and all of that and how that interacts with it. I just wanted to give you a basic picture that is helpful in getting started. All of the other things are details. This basic picture is just a good thing to keep in mind as you're getting started as a guitar maker or even you know maybe you've been building guitars and you've just never really viewed the guitar in this way so even for the veteran builder you can use you can get something out of this anyway i hope that was helpful this was you know my first uh attempt at a podcast episode like this i'd love to hear what you guys think of it i enjoyed it i'm gonna keep doing it if you guys liked it too Please subscribe in wherever you're seeing this. You can also go to my website, ericschaferguitars.com, or I'm actually hooking up a second website and linking it to my website, and that's going to be diyguitarmaking.com. But you can go to either or. They, you know, link to each other. And if you sign up for my email list there, you get not only the podcasts when they come out, but you also get the DIY guitar making videos that I regularly produce. So you can learn in both the audio format like we've done here and in the video format where you can actually visualize things like techniques. And you can get all that in one place right in your inbox rather than going to your podcast catcher for your podcasts and your you know, YouTube for your videos. And that's it. I don't know how to wrap this up, so I'll just say goodbye. Bye. Thank you.